Scanner School, this podcast is here to teach you everything to know about the scanner radio hobby. This is session 221. Today, we've got a really special guest on the podcast. Before you say that, hey, let me introduce myself to anybody who hasn't been on the podcast before. My name is Phil Lichtenberger, and my amateur radio call sign is W2LE. And like I said before, this is Scanner School, and our goal here is to teach you everything to know about the scanner radio hobby. Now, do you have a question about the scanner radio hobby? I would love to to help out. So you can go to scannerschool.com slash ask and submit a question. You can submit a question via our uh, email link. You can submit a question via our speak pipe link, which allows you to use your internet connected device to leave me a voicemail, or you can dial 516-308-2885 and leave me your question. And I will answer them on an upcoming Ask Scanner School podcast, which releases on the first Tuesday of every month. Now, today we welcome back Chris Paris to the podcast. And Chris was last here back on session 143 to talk about federal scanning. See, Chris writes a monthly column for the Spectrum Monitor, an online digital magazine that is dedicated to the radio monitoring hobby. This includes scanning and shortwave listening. Now, Chris's column, The Fed Files, has been a favorite of mine since he was writing for Monitoring Times magazine. And his website is full of great information when it comes to federal monitoring. Now, we'll put a link to Chris's website in the session notes of today's podcast. So if you're listening to us on your podcast player, just swipe up and hopefully there's some notes in there. If you're listening to us over on YouTube, the notes will be in the description. And of course, if you're watching us on the website or listening to us on the website, the notes are there as well. Again, scannerschool.com slash session 221 is where you can find the session notes on our website. Now, Chris's daily job has him in some very interesting locations. This includes monitoring the big super football game that happens at the end of every NFL season. Yes, I cannot say the superb owl because of, I don't want anybody coming after me. They got some deeper pockets than I have. So we won't call the superb owl by its typical name. We'll just call it the big super football game. Now, Chris has been doing these super football games for for many, many, many years, and he's been able to sniff out many agencies that operate while the game has the attention of most of the nation. Now, again, most of us watch it for the football games, but uh, our family members will tolerate the game because they want to see the commercials or the halftime show. So Chris is writing a column, which you will find in the next release of the Spectrum Monitor. And Chris breaks down how he was able to find all these agencies and how he's listening to them while he was at California's SoFi Stadium. Now, we are lucky enough to have Chris on today's podcast to give us a huge sneak peek of that column. And we'll talk about what he heard how he hunted them down, 
what frequencies he was monitoring, what he was expecting to hear, what he didn't hear that he was surprised he wasn't able to hear. And again, we'll talk about what equipment he uses and how he you know, had things set up to help him capture and log and find out who was where, especially to stay organized and to be able to go back later and actually talk about it and write a column about it. So let's take a pause here. When we come right back, we'll talk with Chris about monitoring the super football game. Now, before we get any further in this week's podcast, I want to take a few minutes to thank our Patreon supporters. Now, Patreon is an affordable way for you to support the podcast and our upcoming expansion into YouTube for 2022. So think of Patreon as the PBS model of helping out Scanner School. For a monthly or yearly donation, not only do you help support the podcast, but depending on your donation tier, you will receive certain benefits. The most popular benefit tier being our $5 a month or the $51 a year tier. It's the same tier. We just discount if you can pay us over a year. Now, this tier offers the podcast and YouTube videos early. And also, you receive a free squelchy pack of stickers, several discounts, and access to our monthly live scanner radio roundtable discussion we hold monthly on Zoom. Oh, and by the way, most of the Patreon levels also get a special version of the podcast that does not include the middle advertising break in each episode. Now, find out more about Patreon and our supporting tiers by visiting scannerschool.com Patreon. I'd also like to take a moment here and thank all of our Patreon supporters. Alan Gonzalez, Arthur Heron, Bill Kay, Brandon Sammons, Brian King, Buzz Gold, Chris Paris, Craig Harper, Dan, Dave Pascoe, David C., Denny Crotty, Ed Walsh, Edward Bramlett, Glenn Wright, Greg Johnson, Guy Lee, Jack Haycock, Jacques Berry, James Broxson, James Felling, James Peruta, Jay Reed, Jeff Block, Jeff Chapman, Jeff McLeod, Jenny Taylor, Jim B., Jim Heinrich, Joe Curtis, Joe Kordoff, John Keel, John Sweeney, John Goldenberg, Joshua Robb, Ken Newberry, Kenneth Fowler, Kevin Zwicky, Lenny Barrow, Les Stevenson, Lloyd R., Mark Beebe, Mason Kramer, Michael Gorman, Michael Kroger, Mike Lopez, Nicholas Stenger, Paul Teal, Paul Seish, Randy Lee Wright, Raymond Hill, Ronnie Bach, Sal Marandola, Scott Lefgren, Tim Mazza, Ted Glendie, and William Arcand. Hey, Chris, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. It's great to have you back again. I'm really glad to be here, Phil. Glad I could make it. So let's uh, backtrack really quick before we get started. For anybody who didn't catch your previous podcast episode where you talked about federal information, why don't you give a quick brief rundown of what it is you do and what makes you famous? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been writing about federal communications now for quite some time. I started out writing for Monitoring Times, and when Monitoring Times went away, I moved over to the Spectrum Monitor magazine and write a monthly column called uh, uh, Federal Wavelengths, and it confirms federal and some military uh, monitoring. And so I've been doing that for Gosh, I forgot how long it's been now, but enough years that everybody comes to me with their federal questions. So, yep, you're you're pretty well known in the hobby for the guy to go to when it comes to federal. And uh, as I said prior, and I mean you know already, I mean your website was one of the websites that I would go to all the time to find anything out for federal, and it was always one of your columns was one of the first ones I tuned you know page through when it was a paper magazine. Yeah. So uh, it's it's definitely great to be able to reach out and talk to you and make that connection with you. So it's it's amazing that uh, how some of these things to kind of align so that you can start talking to people right that you've admired <laughs> for a long time and everything else. So it, it's really cool that uh, that you're coming back on the podcast and uh, well, 
Thanks for having me. I, I'm still amazed at the number of people who read what I write and, and actually know what I do. So it's, it's a very, I'm very pleased to find that out. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, uh, Let's uh, let's talk about what we're here to talk about. So um, you were just at the Super Bowl, which is absolutely amazing. And um, I, I know you did a lot of monitoring. But before we get into theirs, was this your first Super Bowl that you did or have you been at others? Actually, I've been to quite a few. This is my 15th Super Bowl wow. as a technical manager. The company I work for provides technical support for the broadcast, television broadcasts that come out of the Super Bowl. I've done probably 17 Super Bowls total. Uh, early on, I was just there as an engineer working on various parts of the broadcast. But then for the last 15 years in a row, I've been the technical manager for the what they call the world feed. That is the broadcast that goes out to the international clients, not the people in the United States. Okay. So that's interesting. So it's it's only... You, you only export. <laughs> That's right. I'm an exporter of the Super Bowl. Now, the uh, the NFL, the obviously the rights to the Super Bowl broadcast belong to NBC or CBS or Fox. This year it was NBC. And they have the exclusive rights within the United States. But for people in Mexico, South America, Germany, in Europe, uh, even in Japan, they get what they call the world feed. It is, it is some of the NBC cameras, some cameras that we set up through a separate broadcast and they actually direct and produce a, a separate show just for the international clients. And then the, each country's network can then add their own announcers or add their own graphics to it to make it look more of their own. But yeah, we do that every year for them. And we have quite a few clients, probably about 20, 20 25 clients total that we send broadcast to. Very interesting. I mean, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. It's not oh, just yes. it's not just the game. And I mean, even in recent years, just before we get into the scanning topics, right? Just seeing the changes when it comes to what happens in a stadium. I mean, you've got the sky cams or the spider cams that are now oh, yeah. just commonplace. Where you know when they when they were first out there, it was like, whoa, look at that camera angle. What's that thing flying around? Is that you know? And and now you just you expect to see them, and I think now they've got what two of them flying at one time. Oh I mean, yeah, that's... there were two. Yeah, two of them, one on top of the other. It was pretty impressive. Yeah, I don't know how they don't get tangled up, but it's it's all. <laughs> I mean, it's it's uh, it's all calibrated, right? It's it's all oh, yeah. the the X Y's and Z's, and yeah. so uh, it's pretty yeah. smart the way it works. It is pretty amazing that they don't have more trouble with them, but they do good. The people that set those up do a good job of uh, making them work without without a problem. Yep. So it's pretty good. So let's talk about uh, the Super Bowl and monitoring. So let's 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 roll back the tape a little bit, so to speak, and, and uh, you know, grab a phrase from the industry there. You land right in the city that you're going to be. Well, let's talk about how long were you actually there at the Super Bowl area? I was there for two weeks. Uh, I usually fly in the Tuesday or Wednesday, probably a good uh, 10, 12 days before the game. And then uh, once we do the game, we spend two or three days picking up and packing up and leaving. So uh, I'm there for a total of about, I was there for a total of 15 days this trip. Okay. So. so you've got plenty of time to do what you have to do to get set up without really rushing too much, but you also have time to do other things, which is hobby related. So let's say you show up and it's, you unpack and you're then going, what if you're looking for something new, right? To, or, or looking to see what's out there in the RF landscape. What is the first thing that you do, like when you're when you're setting everything up and unboxing all the radios? Like, what do you? What's the game plan? Well, I, like most of the trips are pretty much the same. I'll I'll get to the hotel and I'll set up a couple of radios. I usually like to look and listen to look for the local public safety systems 
the state systems, things like that. And then I'll also do a, just a generic search of the federal bands, the 162 to 174 and 406 to 420, just to see what's there. Because there's not really that much going on on the radios prior to the Super Bowl that early. Usually the Sunday or Monday before, about a week before the game, you'll start hearing more and more testing and actual dedicated uh, efforts towards the Super Bowl game itself. So, but I just like to get a, like a background feel for what's going on, what the local agencies are using, uh, what kind of traffic you normally hear on the normal federal channels might be busy in the area. Plus, I usually have a frequency listing that I've kept from the other times I've been in this particular city of what I've heard in the past. So I'll use that as kind of a guideline for what, what is normally active in that area. And then I'll add stuff to that Excel spreadsheet as I pick up new stuff and I can compare it to what I heard before and see if it's new or see if it's just a channel that's been active before. Okay. So you're, you, I mean, obviously you've, you've been to a couple of these cities a lot. So you, so you have a little background information on there, but are you setting things up when you get there or are you snooping around this on, on the internet before you actually land in the location before you leave home? And are you pre-programming your radios or are you just basically landing, setting up, you know, on your free time basically after work and then establishing the memory banks and, and your scan list at that time? Sure. Uh, well, I, I, I usually have the unit in 436 and 536 radios that I tend to like to use as the scanners that is actually scanning radio systems. And mm-hmm. I'll make sure that my favorites lists are updated from the radio reference library and get all those set up. And I'll, yeah, before I leave, I'll usually take a look at those, make sure I have what I'm interested in program in the radio and maybe add. I'll usually start a favorites list separate from the ones and I'll call it Super Bowl 56 or whatever. And that way I can throw stuff in there as I find it or put stuff interesting that I find interesting in there and then keep an ear on it. So yeah, I do do a little prep work before I get there. And, but once I get in the hotel the first night, I'll usually just set those radios up, put an antenna in the window, let them run. And then, uh, then I'll, I usually bring enough radios that I can bring a second set <laughs> of scanners to leave at the stadium in our working office at the stadium. Nice. So you have a little bit of flexibility with that one. So let's talk about the equipment then. What typically are you bringing with you when it comes to monitoring? Like I said, most it's, it varies from trip to trip. I've tried different types of radios, brought more base stations and handhelds, brought more handhelds and base stations. The preferred complement right now I took my Uniden 536 scanner and uh, two TRX2 scanners and had those set up at the hotel. Then at the office at the stadium, I took my fourth Uniden 436 scanner, three TRX1 scanners, and I had uh, a couple of handhelds, my old PSR 500, the uh, Upatero MBT 7100, and I think that was it. May have had another one in the. Oh, I had my uh, AirSpy R2s, the SDRs, with me at the at the office at the stadium. So, so basically, it was uh, probably half a dozen scanners at the office at the stadium, and three or four scanners at the hotel. So, okay, and it's nice you've got a mix and a match between Uniden and Whistler. Because I know you and I have talked before about each one's a little bit special in its own little way. So let's talk about how you're using each one. So you've got the Uniden. You said set. You set that one up ahead of time. Yeah, through Sentinel, but then you're using the TRX ones and the TRX twos. Are those those are your radios that you're just looking right for information right. is okay. I, I set those up as a search, you know, search banks, and I set them to record everything they hear, so okay. that I don't have to sit there and listen to it, especially at work. Mm-hmm. But my routine usually is well, I'll leave them run for a day, 
And when I come in first thing in the morning for the next day of work, I'll sit down and listen to or re-download the recordings and see what I picked up. So that's kind of my checking what it picked up overnight. So you're not logging into a computer. You're actually just letting the, the radio do what the radio does and, Correct. and, and do that. Way. Okay. Now, are Correct. you using, you're just basically using scan lists and, or, or, or search lists, right? Limits, I'm using, limit low, yeah. limit high? On the, on the whistlers, I'm using just the, the uh, limit search. I'm okay. just putting a, a low frequency and high frequency and letting it go to town. And that's to me, seems a little faster. I know some people who I uh, know like to use an actual search or scan list. Like you said, they built a scan list with every federal frequency between 162 and 174, and they run it that way. And that works fine for them. I just find it easier for me to just use this, the uh, limit search. But yeah, I just use uh, let the scanners do their thing. And uh, record, like I said, they records every hit that it gets. And then I can go back later and look at and see what I got. And what about using the signal stalker? Have you, do you use that at all? Or are you just using the search range? I have used it. Yeah. Um, when I'm walking around, especially if I get a chance to go inside the stadium, I'll take a radio with me and leave it in my pocket and just leave the signal stalker or a close call running. And uh, again, I'll let it record. So I'd have to keep looking at the radio. And then when I get back into the, have a chance to sit down and look at it, I'll see what I picked up. So. It's kind of like a treasure hunt, I guess. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it, it reminds me a lot of uh, war driving, right? Or what yes, they call it when, yes. you're, when you're trying to find Wi-Fi hotspots exactly, and everything else. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah it, that's one of my, because I'm in New York. I mean, we're going to talk about this in a podcast episode. So we'll pretend I do this while I'm out walking. But <laughs> it, it is rather interesting to, and I do the same thing. I've got the TRX-1 or the TRX-2 because I find it works a lot better for this kind of stuff than the Uniden stuff does. And just leave it in Signal Stalker on the typical VHF and UHF bands and just let it do its thing and uh, forget about it, right? It's just let mm-hmm. it do its thing while I'm, while I'm out and about. And then just based off of the timestamps, I know pretty much where I was around town and what it picks up. And, of course, it picks up a lot of the same nonsense, right? Control channels for the, oh, yeah. the, the yeah. NXDN and the DMR. And, but uh, occasionally you get, you get some really cool stuff on uh, – on those as well. I'm, I'm really hoping one these days I'll find out the the talk around channel at my, at my daughter's school because I have the thing running every single day when I'm out in the parking lot waiting for her for 15 minutes and I, I've still yet to get a hit. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can hear the post office behind me and the Ace hardware, but I have yeah. yet to hear yet to hear the school <laughs> and the school buses that are sitting there. Yeah. So uh, everything but what I want to hear. So, <laughs> but uh, but it works really well. So uh, it's it's nice to hear that that you are using everything around and, and it's, you've got a huge pile though, that, that you take with you. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's I, interesting. It's, it's, I, it's still in kind of a trying to balance what I take and what I wish I'd brought. It seems like every year I start a list of things that I didn't bring and wish I had and a list of things I brought and never used. So I kind of trying to keep the balance correct, but uh, you know, it changes every year. I get some new toy or want to try something different. Mm-hmm. So I throw extra stuff in the bag. So, but it works out okay so far. So what's one thing that you brought this year that you didn't really use? I brought a couple of extra antennas that I never took out of the case. I brought a uh, tripod to put the antenna up uh, like in a hotel room because I didn't know what the hotel was like. And I didn't end up needing it. I had a nice shelf in the window. I could set the antenna. So a little stuff like that. And what's something that you wish you brought that you didn't bring? Probably <laughs> probably another P25 radio. There was really? that much going on. Yeah. I I, I kind of wish I'd thrown my, my old 396 XT in there because there was enough stuff going on. I would like to have had that in my hand and and uh, use it for some close call stuff that I was out and about with. But 
So, so the three TRX ones and the TRX twos and the <laughs> the four twenty six and five thirty six wasn't enough. <laughs> Just wasn't enough, yeah. So let's talk about the uh, the R two because that's an interesting piece of equipment to bring with you, especially inside the stadium. Or you were outside the stadium, right? You weren't. Or, I was were outside. You outside? I was working outside, but I did make occasional trips inside. I had the R twos running. I had two of them running out in the office. Both mm-hmm. were set up on a couple of monitors by my desk and evoked a lot of comments from people as walked in going, what is that? And I would explain to them <laughs> what I'm looking at and they were totally amazed. But yeah, I would usually kept an eye on a couple of bands just to see if I saw any activity. After your podcast a while back about the Civil Air Patrol, I kept an eye on that band of frequencies just to see if they were there. And I kept an eye on just odd, just a, a, oh, I was looking at the 700 megahertz band because there were reports that the uh, California Highway Patrol was using that band for their vehicle, their uh, units that were on site at the stadium. And in fact, I did find them using 700 megahertz at the stadium. So that was cool. Nice. And what type of software were you using on the R2s? I was just using the SDR Sharp and I'm just okay. using it for the water waterfall display. I haven't really gotten into using the R2s as scanners as yet. I, that's something I want to do, and uh, but I haven't really moved out of just using them as a, as a spectrum display so far because that gives me a, a quick view of a chunk of spectrum that I want to keep an eye on if I see something spike there. And I keep the sensitivity fairly low because I just want to pick up stuff that's right near me. Mm-hmm. So uh, if I see something start to spike up, it gets my attention and I can start tuning around and see what it's hearing. So you were pulling in about what, 8 megahertz or 10 megahertz? Yeah, I was using the 8 megahertz of spectrum. Okay. I think I even zoomed it in a little bit and you only did 2 megahertz on a couple of searches. But yeah, it's it's very handy for me to, to have that in addition to the radios. So we got to get you a port pack and see how much you like that one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's next on my list, I think. Yeah, yeah. it's it's more of a novelty than anything else, but it, it is really cool to see. So there's a lot of activity going in there. I mean... Again, you've got federal, you've got some uh, civil stuff, or you got some state, you got local, you've got comms inside the stadium, security, right? There must yeah. have been a ton of stuff to listen to, but let's 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 start from the top down. Did you catch the flyover? I did not, although I had the frequency. It turned out later I did have the frequency in my radio, but we all ran out and were taking pictures of it, and I just totally left the scanner <laughs> sitting in the office and didn't get a chance to hear him. So but okay. I did get to see him fly over. So that was the important thing, I think. Very nice. And then what about uh, the filler shots from overhead? Because I, I know that uh, the guy that does a lot of the filming for Deadliest Catch, I mm-hmm. follow him on TikTok and he oh, yeah. posted online that he was hovering overhead the stadium and, and uh, what his view was for the Super Bowl. So yeah. any any monitoring of any of that, that I kind of stuff? I don't know if I, I don't think I caught any of that stuff. I was listening to the air traffic around the stadium. It was very hectic this year because the stadium there in Inglewood is literally on the approach path to LAX airport for both the Ooh. north and south runways. So you had commercial flights going constantly on the north side and south side of the stadiums. And the aircraft that were operating at the stadium just had a very small area that they could fly in. And they were constantly have to keep their eyes out for uh, commercial aircraft. In fact, that's something I noticed that was different this year. Normally on Super Bowls, both the Customs and Border Protection and the Coast Guard used to love to fly around the stadium multiple times a day just doing patrols. They didn't do that this year. They only did it once on the Sunday, the week before the game, and they never really came back over the stadium. They were there, but they were outside the flight path of LAX. They kept a very wide perimeter around the stadium, and we didn't really see them like we normally do. But I did hear them. Mm. Did hear them up in the air. Didn't see them somewhat on ADSB. So I knew they were out there. 
So you're watching ADSB also, huh? Yes, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were looking for the flyover with that, and uh, uh-huh. there was a uh, uh, obviously a combat air patrol that was up during the game. We didn't right. see the fighters, but we did see the tankers that were there refueling them. So nice. It must be just overwhelming to know what's out there and try to scramble to catch everything, but yet still you do still do your job at the same time. Yeah, yes. <laughs> well, if I if we do our jobs correctly. We get everything taken care of before the game. So once the game starts, it's actually pretty quiet. Okay. So that gives me a chance to actually sit and listen to things. Nice. That's, that's always rewarding. That's like <laughs> you said, you did your job well if you have nothing that's to right. do while exactly. right, the event's going on. Perfect. Exactly. So um, I'm trying to think here now, too. So you've got you got the flyover. You've got the, the shots overhead. Let's talk about ground. So before we start going to the, the fun stuff that you like to do is, is the federal stuff. What other mm-hmm. kind of stuff – were you able to monitor while you were while you were there? Well, that's a good question because there there is a ton of stuff. It's like drinking from a fire hose, I like to say, because yes. there's so much stuff going on. The LA area is very heavily uh, active with radio channels. There's no question about it. It's not only the city of Los Angeles and county of Los Angeles, but there are many many little cities that all have their own police departments, and many of them operate their own radio systems. In this case, the stadium was in Inglewood, California. So the Inglewood Police Department had their radio system set up and were running for this for the event. The California Highway Patrol was there. They were assisting. There were actually, I've, I saw canine units from all kinds of cities, from Phoenix, from other cities in California. They, so they came to participate. Uh, the county fire department was there, LA County. There's a, a newer trunk system running in the Southern California area called the Los Angeles Regional Interoperable Communication System, or LA RICS, as they call it. The, a lot of the county agencies seem to be moving towards that system. So there was some use on that trunk system. It's a P25 phase two system, although the site that I was listening to closest to the stadium, which they call the Baldwin Hill site, only seemed to have phase one stuff going on in it. So you could listen to it with any P25 scanner. Unfortunately, they had, I think, eight or nine channels designated for the stadium. They're called Stadium 1 through 9, but they're all encrypted, of course. Uh, <laughs> the actual stadium itself has a trunk system for its operations, a DMR system. It was also completely encrypted. And, of course, all the NFL radios for the game operations and so forth were encrypted DMR. Uh, <laughs> so I was kind of striking out on those. But the LA RIC system did have what they call events channels. They had, I think, events 1 through 8. Those were not encrypted. So I was able to catch a lot of what was going on inside the stadium uh, before the game, during the game, and after the game on that, uh, those talk groups. So that was interesting to listen to. And, and that, you know, that, that proves what you and I have talked about in the past, right? Where we, we said that the secrets are in the searches. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, striking out left and right with all the encryption stuff. And, and you know, again, you know, encryption, does that, does that kill a hobby and all that stuff? But there's no surprise, right? There's, there's absolutely no surprise that the, there would be encryption on security in the stadium or that, um, you know, anything pertaining really to the events on that day would be encrypted and and the nfl headsets i mean obviously that's encrypted because they don't want the other team listening to it sure sure but uh it's it's interesting though that you, you kept hunting and you kept looking and you kept trying to find something else out there and you did come across right unencrypted talk groups on a different system that sure. was still related to what was going on there yeah and and again too uh, just to backtrack when you talk about the flyovers uh reminds me though of, of going to see baseball games and see the mets play over at city field or shea stadium back when it was mm-hmm. still here 
And again, it's right next to the LaGuardia Airport. So like every five minutes while you're sitting there playing, a, you know, watching a ball game, you've got the, the airplanes flying overhead. <laughs> but when you watch, if they're ever in, you know, the playoffs or they ever go to the World Series, you don't hear any jets. Yeah, <laughs> so, true. so you know that they've, that they've done anything like that. <laughs> but because you're looking at trunk systems here, have you used any other software to help you with uh, discovering on the trunk systems like Unitrunker or DSD Plus or or anything like that to help you log and see what's going on on these uh, trunk systems while you're out there? Oh, absolutely. I, I'm, I guess I'm still kind of old school. I was using Pro96Com, which okay. takes the control channel data from my PSR 500. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I was watching various trunk systems with that. So I could see which talk groups were active and figure out which site came in the best at my location. Initially, I was trying to figure out which site of this LA RIC system to listen to because it's got dozens and dozens of sites, both VHF, or I'm sorry, UHF, and 700 and 800. And I couldn't figure out which one might cover the stadium just ge by geography. And I, I, I commented, I think, on Radio Reference, I wondered why the system, they have uh, some mobile sites, some sites on wheels. Mm -hmm. I was really surprised they didn't bring one and set it up at the stadium. But the locals who I heard from on Radio Reference said, ah, the system has a nice distributed antenna system designed for that trunk system, so they don't really need it. They get good coverage in and out of the system, uh, the stadium on that system, the way it is. So that okay. kind of answered that question. They told me which site that they normally use. So I kept an eye on that. And yeah, I could pretty much see anytime somebody talking it, I could see, you know, what was going on on the trunk system and see which, uh, which units were affiliated or who was affiliated with it. So yeah, that was really handy too. That does take a little sitting and watching, you know, and I bet I could keep an eye on that while I was working without too much trouble. So that was very handy. We got to get you over to Unitrunker. I do. I do need to do that. I'm still, you know, once I find something that works and I like it, I, I, it's hard for me to move on to something new, you know? <laughs> yep. Yep. No, I've, it's been a very long time since I've used Pro96.com. Great piece of software. I mean, there's, there's yeah, nothing yeah. against it. It works really well at what it does. And I like the fact that, yes, it was built around the Radio Shack or the Pro line, right, of, of P25 only scanners, which is where right. we get the Pro 96 from, because that's that's the scanner, right? Exactly. That, that, that gave birth to that piece of software. Right, right. But the ability for it to also use the uh, serial interface from Uniden XT series and P2 series radios and also control those radios as well. And that's one of those things I liked about that software was I could actually set up my like BC75D uh, and use that as the slave and, you know, have Pro96.com tune, tune that around, as I think is how I had it set up at one point. But, um, yeah, I was using that with my Pro 106 to log the system. And I recently went on their website, you know, at, at PSR Edit, mm -hmm. to see if it was ever updated. And it's been years and years and years since that piece of software was, oh, yeah. was modified. Yeah. Still works really well at what it does. And uh, it's a great piece of software. But if we can get you over to Unitrunker, the benefits of using that is you can actually take... I'm pretty sure you could take your R2. I think I've done it with mine. And if you can get the R2 working with it, again, I'm pretty sure I did it. You can have multiple VFOs. Yes. yes. And uh, then again, now you can monitor multiple control channels 
off of one piece of hardware. And then you can really find out which was the best tower to listen to or the best site because you'd be able to see each one, each on a screen. Yeah. So when I normally bring that up, I can watch the two systems that are here. Then I can go with my neighborhood county and see their, their Type 2 system and their P25 system and see what talk groups are being carried on the old and the new and which ones are you know, rolling over. So there's a lot of stuff that you can grab. But Unitrunker is on the – it means massive development. I mean Rick is doing a, a hell of a good job. Uh, keeping that updated and, and smashing bugs and then creating new ones and so <laughs> well plus plus uh pro 96 com you're limited to just p25 trunking yes. i mean there's so much more yeah. out there trunking dmr nxtn you know tons of stuff that i'd yep. really like to be able to monitor and, and see more information on so yeah you're right i need to move on so <laughs> yep, yep and then you got somebody else screaming probably at the podcast right now saying what about trunk sdr which is great too because you can actually queue up talk groups so oh, okay. it'll it'll record them in the background, and instead of you either missing a talk group or having to hear them at the, you know multiple at the same time, it'll cue them up in a player so that when that conversation's over, you'll hear the next talk group come up and then in sequence the next one, the next one, and the next one. So oh, okay. that's a lot of how the ingest server works over at Broadcastify is it's able to because the SDRs have multiple paths and on them at this point multiple VFOs. Right. Then uh, yeah, you're able to, you're able to tune into multiple voice channels at the same time. So there's a lot of stuff that uh, the SDR world is is really bringing the ability to play around with. So maybe the next time that that will be on a wish I had list or <laughs> I, I wish I didn't bring list because it'd be distracting. Well, hopefully by Super Bowl 57 in Phoenix, I'll be able to uh, move up to that platform. We'll see what we can find there. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, you got a whole year to play around with it. So. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> got time. Yeah. <laughs> unless, you're, unless you're in my seat, then you go, I have a whole year to play around with it. And 11 months later, going, oh, yeah. you know, it's time, <laughs> it's time to leave. That. And Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what yeah I'm the happen. same way. I'm the same yep. way. So let's talk about this. So you, there's a whole bunch of stuff you're listening to, right? I mean, again, you're saying you drink it from my uh, from a fire hydrant, basically, uh, as or a fire hose, right? Is what's going yeah. on here. So was there one particular agency or conversation or something that you picked up that was more it stands out more than anything else, or something that was the most exciting? I don't know, something that just stands out in in your mind as something you picked up while you were out there. Well, you know, it's funny. Occasionally, every every Super Bowl trip's a little different, you know, as far as what I pick up and what I hear. There's some that seem like it's really quiet or there wasn't very much active, which kind of surprised me. Other times there have been a lot of stuff going on. This is one of the busier ones that I've heard. But yeah, every once in a while, I'll pick up something and I'll, be, I'll get a big grin on my face. Like, wow, if I actually caught the music out. One of the things I picked up, it was multiple frequencies, but they set up several VHF frequencies at the stadium for, I guess, multiple federal agencies to use. And they were mostly unencrypted. And that, that kind of gave me a little excitement because I was hearing their uh, what was going on there. And they most of the units were not using encryption. So I could keep an ear on what was going on there. It wasn't a super exciting stuff, but it was, uh, you know, who's going where and which, uh, which booth we're going to be in and what's going on up here. And that kind of thing, but it was unencrypted, so that kind of surprised me for the for the event. That's usually uh, not something you run into. Yeah, finding the CHP on their 700 megahertz channels was kind of exciting. I did have some of the uh, uh, the UHF mill airband stuff going just on the side, and I think it was the early in the week, like Monday or Tuesday of the week before the Super Bowl. All of a sudden, they those frequencies started getting active. Just 
all of a sudden. And it was a basically a dress rehearsal. They sent the the National Air National Guard units down from Fresno to do a practice intercept near the Super Bowl stadium with, uh, I believe it was one of the CBP helicopters, just doing practicing in case they had somebody getting out, you know, out of the, the temporary flight restriction zone and tracking them down. And I heard all that just almost instantly because I happen to have the frequencies already in the scanner. And uh, that was pretty exciting because I wasn't expecting it and didn't know when it was going to happen. So it just showed up. So that was kind of fun to catch. Nice. So, I mean, it's, like I said, there's a lot of stuff going on there. So to be able to pick these things out, you know, it's like needles and haystacks, right? So the the ability to come in there, be prepared, uh, have plenty of search banks and everything else going on there. I mean, it's, I'm sure there's, for everything you've heard, you probably missed one or two other things too that you just weren't able to capture. So oh, yeah. there's yeah. a lot going on. I'm, I'm kind of curious too, did you, was there any Anything going on on the business band stuff like MERS or FRS or anything like that, that maybe a concession stands in the in the stadium or, I mean, did it, was there anything like that going on or do you, do you just ignore all that at, at this point? I had, I think I had some of those running in uh, one radio. I, th- I built a, um, a scan list and a couple of radios that are based on not only the MERS and FRS stuff, but all of those pre-programmed frequencies that come in the uh, the so-called CCRs, the cheap Chinese radios, the uh-huh. Bofangs and so forth, they come pre-programmed. And a lot of people don't pre-program them when they get them. So they right. just turn them on and start using them. So, yeah, I did find a few things there. Nothing that I really could figure out who it was. Uh, there might have been some people outside the stadium, out, even outside the grounds of the stadium, using those from the vendors and so forth. We did have some... Uh, broadcasters from foreign countries who came in, but they ended up getting radios from the NFL to use. I didn't know that. I was kind of interested to see if anybody brought radios from outside the country, but they ended up using radios from the NFL that they provided. So those were on UHF business band frequencies. But yeah, most of the, uh, like I said, the stadium operations, even the vendors and so forth, they got radios on the the stadium uh, DMR system. So they were all encrypted. So didn't hear much from them. Makes a lot of sense what you're saying, though, about the uh, everybody getting radios directly from the NFL, because, again, this has got to be a logistical nightmare as far as frequency planning and who you're going to put where and everything else. Because let's think about it. You've got you've got all the IFBs. You've got all the wireless microphones. You've got the helmet microphones from the coaches and, and the coach staff going to the other coordinators that are that are up in the boxes mm-hmm. and just just the the usable spectrum that you have. For that kind of stuff, right? I mean, and you get special grants from the FCC for temporary licenses and, and a lot of the stuff, right? That, oh, sure. That, that's in there. But um, I know for work, I've spent some time over at the uh, USTA, the US Tennis Center. Mm-hmm. And again, you, you know, you got the guy out there and he's got his spreadsheet and he knows who's supposed to be where and, and what, you know, what camera crew and what news agency and, and who's supposed to be, you know, at what places. Because again, you've got a lot of these agents or a lot of these groups that come in from outside of the US and they're not familiar, right? They just have equipment, they turn on the equipment and now all of a sudden they're transmitting where they shouldn't be transmitting at all. So <laughs> yes. yeah. they're just not aware of it. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, I mean, for example, wireless microphones end up in the new cell band, right? The new cellular oh, yeah. spectrum or, or something yeah. like that, or it ends up in federal where it shouldn't be. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, uh, <laughs> Uh, the the uh, the spectrum allocations are different, you know, through multiple different countries. But uh, sure. just thinking about that way, it, it must be a nightmare. So let's talk about uh, just other stuff that you've picked up. I mean, did we leave anything out yet, or I mean, or there's still a long list of stuff that you were able to monitor while you were at the uh, at the event? Well, like I said, I was mainly interested in in public safety. I guess you could say mm-hmm. police, fire, 
and the aircraft stuff. But yeah, there was just a lot of the frequencies weren't really a surprise there, but there were just so many of them. I guess that's the the uh, the thing that impressed me was there were so many different frequencies involved because you had the county, you had the city, the various small police departments, fire departments, so forth. So there's a lot of different things you could monitor. They did have some frequencies and talk groups set aside that they were all supposed to be using for interoperability. So they had a, it was a fairly small number of channels that were concerned directly with the game and the activities around the game. But being Southern California, there was always something going on. So just listening to the LAPD or LA County fire department, police sheriff, there was just always something going on. The channels were just always busy. So you never have much dead air down there when you have, when you have all those systems uh, lined up in the scanner. Right. And just out of curiosity, did they, use any of those NIFOG channels or those, those tactical channels that are laid they, out they that were way? Using, yeah, they were using some of the 800 megahertz TAC channels, the mm-hmm. national TAC channels. They seem to like to use those there anyway, but they did have one of those dedicated for air-to-ground use, I think, for the uh, the Super Bowl. And so that did get a fair amount of use. I didn't really hear much on the, um, the NIFOG channels at the stadium, but I understand they were being used in other places. But right at the stadium, I didn't really catch much from those. Gotcha. Sounds like a lot. <laughs> well, it is. It's, it is a lot. <laughs> hey, did you realize it takes us almost $100 a week just to have this podcast episode professionally edited and sent over to you? This doesn't even include website and podcast hosting, administrative help, and other monthly subscriptions that are required to put the podcast out there. Now, you can help us offset these costs when you shop online. So if you're looking for a scanner radio or some software, looking to bid on items over on eBay, or if you're looking to purchase anything, and I mean anything, on Amazon, you can help support Scanner School in the process. And this doesn't come at any extra cost to you. So please check out ScannerSchool.com support for the multiple different ways that we have out there that you can help support us when you shop online. Again, scannerschool.com slash support. Are you looking to learn more about the scanner radio hobby? We currently have courses on how to get started and up and running with software-defined radios and how to turn your SDR into a fully functioning scanner radio. With free software, you can see more and do more with trunking than ever before. And with new courses scheduled for the upcoming months, our offerings will be expanding into both Uniden and Whistler hardware and software. Check out our courses at courses.scannerschool.com or by looking for the link in this podcast description. National Communications Magazine is your personal library of scanner, CB, GMRS, FRS, MURS, and two-way radio articles written by the best minds in the business over the past three decades. Your NatCom personal online access account allows you to download the newest issues of America's Hobby Radio Magazine, as well as back issues, too. Visit natcommag.com to download your free sample issue and sign up today. Did you know that a pager can make a great addition to your scanner radio collection. And even if I didn't own East Coast pagers, I still have one or maybe a couple of pagers as a part of my scanner radio setup. This is because a pager can be used to just monitor your local fire department or your regional departments. And if you set it up correctly to alert you when the tones are sent over the air, then the pager will remain silent until you need to know what is going on. 
This frees up your scanner to monitor everything else that's going on besides your local stuff or can prevent you from missing the local stuff because your scanner is busy doing other things. Now, pagers aren't just limited to fire dispatches anymore. Unication has great solutions to monitor both analog and P25 paging systems where many public safety and police departments are switching over to. Swissome and Apollo make great analog solutions as well, and all three still sell Pogsac and Flex pagers, still in use by many departments for text alerting. East Coast Pagers is an Apollo, Swiss phone, and Unication dealer serving the North American market and, of course, is one of my online companies. So if you're looking for a personal use pager or one for your department, contact us for a free quote and let us know you're a Scanner School listener for something a little extra with your order. For our full inventory or to request a quote or just to contact us, please visit eastcoastpagers.com. How is this different than in any other event that, that you go to? Because you travel quite a bit and you do events, maybe not on the scale, but you definitely do events throughout the year. Oh, so yeah. how is the Super Bowl different from a another type of event that you've, that you've done? Well, first of all, Super Bowls are already known as a, as a uh, national security special event. So it gets special attention because of the fact that it's a big international or big Lots of people, lots of international attention. So it gets a lot more resources thrown at it for public safety and the federal government. So that that is not what I normally run into at a at a normal baseball game or boxing match or whatever I'm out covering. So that's what is is a, the step up, the next level for me when I go to one of these events is having enough radios to try to keep an ear on that kind of stuff. But even on a small event, whenever I travel to another city, I'm always still listening and looking through the federal bands or through the local public safety agencies and looking for stuff that, that might be interesting. A lot of places I go now are, are have systems that are in transition. Like when I go to Las Vegas in a couple of weeks, I know that the Nevada state is moving from an EDEX 800 megahertz system to an actual P25 system. So there's a lot of things that have moved or are moving or will be moving to this new system. So I, I like to sit down and take a look at both of those and see what's moved and what's new and what's not new. So, and same with the federal stuff, there's always possibilities of finding something new, finding an active frequency that wasn't active the last time I was there. So yeah, I'm always, like I said, I'm always looking for uh, for whatever's new or whatever I can find that, that might pop up that I haven't heard before. So let's look at it this way. What is something that you've learned from this this year at the Super Bowl <laughs> that you'll do differently or not do next year? Oh gosh, that's a good question. <laughs> well, I learned, I've I pretty much learned that what I did this year worked very well. So I'll probably try to continue to do it next year. Um, I'm probably going to bring another computer of some kind, a laptop or something, just to leave to run some of the software, either uh, Unitronk or something like that. Mm-hmm. I'm usually busy using my, my, normal computer for work and i do have it running other things at the same time but i sometimes have to unplug it pick it up and run away with it so i would like to get a computer that i can just leave at the office or at the hotel room to run some of this uh, software with i'm trying to decide when when i get a laptop or actually one of these little the little small format small footprint pcs uh, mm. and just take that with me and i can usually use the monitor at the hotel or a monitor at, at work uh, so I don't have to carry a whole laptop with me. So that's probably my next change that I want to make is probably up my computer game uh, with all this stuff and come up with something that I can take with me and that will that can be usable on the road. 
I'm going to put a wrench in, in, in that one for you. And in, in those okay. cases, I've been playing around or I've been getting ready to play around. I just bought myself a uh, Android tablet. Now I'm a Apple guy for a long time. So to go back to Android is kind of like learning how to ride a bike again. <laughs> when you, yeah. But you know, when you have square tires, so yeah. <laughs> it's just, just getting used to the interface again, cause it's changed so much since the last time I've used it, but there's some very interesting SDR software now for the, Android tablet. And I, I don't want to say anything too far in advance, but there is there is a very piece of popular software that runs, I'm going to put it this way, it runs on multiple operating systems. So you can run it on Windows, Mac, Linux, and it's being ported right now over to Android. Oh, really? And, yes. And it okay. runs very nicely on a tablet and it also runs nicely on a cell phone. Oh, really? So, oh, interesting. Yes. <laughs> so you can imagine taking one of those uh, SDR minis, or they, they call those things, yeah, Newelec, yeah. whatever, and just throwing that in your pocket with an antenna and tethering it to your Android phone and walking around with the with the whole spectrum <laughs> display on you. Can you imagine doing that? That would um, be cool, yeah. That, yeah, I mean, that would give you a little bit of insights what's going on, and you really wouldn't stand out too much with something like that, right? But uh but yeah, I'm looking forward to playing around with some of that stuff. So um, when that when that actually comes out, and also there's a uh, uh, they call it the Kraken SDR, which is supposed to be coming out, which is a multi-port receiver. I think it's got five receivers in it. Oh, I've and heard of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's really interesting looking. And again, that that runs on Android too with the mapping program and and everything else. So you can put that out there and find out where things are coming from. Yeah. As either you're walking around or driving around with something. So you can do a little bit more war, war driving with that. <laughs> but uh, this is, I mean, this is, this is the hobby, right? I mean, this oh, is, yeah. this is what gets you and, and where, like I said, how many radios are you bringing with you? I mean, you, a normal person would say that's an overkill, right? Yeah. yeah. And for you, it's not enough. <laughs> so it is a bit of a sickness, right? Yeah. It <laughs> when, is. When, you, when you think about it, but, but it's, it's, that's the hobby, right? That's that's the hobby for you is is discovering and, and pulling all this information out of it. And people depend on you for it too, right? They they want to know what you find, which is also makes it very interesting for you to do is is uh is you 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 know why you're doing it, right? You're doing it to scratch your own itch, but also to share with other people what it is that that you're finding out on these. And uh for everybody who reads the column, uh again, thank you for what it is that you do because everybody appreciates it. So <laughs> well, I appreciate the fact that it, the people are interested. I was worried when I first started that nobody would care what I was listening to, but that doesn't seem to be the case. But as far as the radios go, yeah, I look on it as these are tools for the job and I got to bring the right tools for the right job. And for me, you know, most of the time they work out well and they do the job that I hope that they would do. And if two work well, three ought to work three times as good, you know, <laughs> so bring more, you know. But no, I, I, I bring what I can. I know there's a limit. I mean, I can't bring some things. I can't, I, I still, it's funny after all these years, I still have not had the the nerve to pack up my ICOM 8600 R8600 to take it with me. <laughs> I'm so afraid of breaking that thing. So <laughs> I haven't taken that on the road yet. I was just going to ask you about that. Have you taken yeah. any just receiver only? It's like, you know, oh, yeah. I mean, even like a... Uh, an ICOM R6 or the R30 or, you know, something like that. Have, have you, have you tried playing around with anything like that at all while you're on the road or? I had, yeah. I, uh, a few years ago, I took my, um, AOR, uh, DV1 with me Oof. 
Okay. And uh, that actually worked pretty good, but it's a very slow scanner, as you pointed out. It's a receiver. But mm-hmm. it was great for finding a lot of the DMR stuff. I had it searching a search, just a search range for DMR stuff. And since most of the stuff at the stadiums that the NFL uses is DMR, it helped me find a lot of the active uh, NFL stuff. And uh, so that was kind of handy. But yeah, I've, I've taken it on the road before and I actually have a nice case for it to take with me. But I haven't on the last couple of years just because I wanted to concentrate more on the searching for the P25 stuff or airband stuff and haven't really brought it with me. But I probably will next year. I probably will now that you mention it. What we got to get you doing too is taking an, an a, uh, external hard drive with you and then just re- do an IQ recording of what you're receiving on the SDR. Yes. And then you can go back and replay it. Yeah. <laughs> that's a <laughs> good point. It that eats be- a lot of data. That, then I'll never have time to sit down and look at it. I'll have years worth of, uh, <laughs> yes. of recordings that I have to look at some point. So <laughs> exactly, yeah. you got to hire somebody to do it for you. See, that's yeah. that's the thing. <laughs> so, are are you finding like with all of the equipment, right, that you're bringing with you, and, and all these things that that you have? Let's talk about just a wish list thing. Like, what is with all this hard? What is something that you feel is missing that you wish would be? that you'd have at your fingertips it means there's something that's that you just would would find it easier to do what you're doing or uh, something you know that's that a manufacturer can improve on i mean what what's is there anything that that would help you out well one of the things that i've always wished for you know we talk every year about what we what we hope the scanner manufacturers would come out with on a new model scanner Mm -hmm. one of the things i've always wanted was just a better receiver not necessarily more features, but make the receivers more selective, more sensitive in a way, you know, less, better filtering, things like that. And just make them a better radio. Because when you're in a situation like I'm in, there are literally hundreds of people around you within a mile of you all using UHF business band radios nearly simultaneously. And Mm -hmm. so searching the federal UHF band is a nightmare because I'm getting all these images from 20 or 30 megahertz away in the, in the federal band. So that is always something I wish that could be a little better. Was was just a better a better radio inside the scanner. I think the the SDS line is supposed to be a better receiver in some ways, especially for the simulcast problem in the 800 megahertz band. But I don't know that it's actually that much better a receiver in, like, say, VHF or UHF than the uh, than the older unit in line, the 436 and 536. Um, it's a different still, animal. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. It is. Yeah. I don't know. I yeah. There was that rumored AOR receiver that had the four airband receivers in one box. Right. If I could have something like that for P25, <laughs> that would be pretty amazing <laughs> too. But uh, yeah, like I said, I think hardware wise, it's it's working fairly well, but uh, my my needs and wants are probably more on my end as far as being able to, to harness all this information that these things are picking up, saving the recording, saving the information on some type of computer or a hard drive or my laptop or whatever for further mm-hmm. analysis, if you will. So that's really where my my hopes and dreams are is this more computer power. <laughs> yeah, that's as, as you're talking about what I'm thinking of, right? Is is different ways you can use other pieces of hardware to maybe get that job done. And uh one of them I was thinking about is, you know, with SDR sharp or even with uh SDR console and something like that, you have the ability to make up these search lists, right? Mm-hmm. Limit searches again. And you can pipe that audio out to DST plus, and then you'd be able to, every time it would stop on something, right? Whether it be a control channel or a voice channel, DST plus would pick up on that one and it would, you know, demodulate it. I, I don't know if it would actually work 
on a control channel because it would need FMP24 to run there. But at least you'd have a log of it and know what was going on there. And oh, you yeah. get a recording that way. And then you can move on from there. And there's also RTL Airband. And uh, there's a lot of different stuff that you can do when you get into that you know, that part of, of, of everything. But um, you got to also keep it simple also, right? You can't, you can't get yourself lost in, in the weeds because then all of a sudden now you're, you're, you're swamped by all the information you have in front of you. Exactly. So um, I, exactly. I think, how many years have you been doing? You said 15 years you've been this doing this? This is my 15th 17? year. I've been, 15, yeah, 15 yeah. years. But actually traveling with the scanners and doing this as far as the hobby goes and, and oh, not that, I, professionally. Yeah, I've been I mean, doing that. I've been doing that since high school, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> or since so. I got my first job that took me out of town. So yeah, it's so, been quite yeah. a few years with that. So so you've got quite a bit of experience in honing in the process and, and everything else. So you've got a really good method as to what works for you. And like you said before at the beginning, right, that you've got spreadsheets and you, and you know what you've logged prior and just the ability to be organized and know what you have and what's new. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's a task in itself. Right. Absolutely. So. Yeah, it's, it's, I worry sometimes, like I said, I tried to devote every morning when I was having my coffee, when I got into work to actually going through all the stuff that the radios had received and picking out what was new. Cause almost every morning I would find some new frequency that wasn't active the day before, you know? So as we were getting closer to the game, more and more new stuff seemed to pop up. So yeah, I would just have to make some downtime and, and go through this stuff. And uh, once I got it logged in my spreadsheet and I saved any interesting recordings, I had to clear the radio out and let it start again for another 24 hours. And because uh, otherwise, I w- if I had to go through that now, two weeks worth of stuff, I don't know if I'd, I'd get discouraged before I even sat down. It'd sure. be like, I can't even start. <laughs> so Yeah, it'd be too much there. Now, have you thought about using something like ProScan to, to log the radio and the audio and, and just let it categorize it for you? I've heard about ProScan. I have not actually tried it, but I know people who use it and are very happy with it. But that's, again, on my things to look into list. So okay. that would definitely be something I'd like to try. Yep. Yeah, I like ProScan for uh, – and, again, Butel does a great job with it as well. I mean, it's it's, sure. it's the ability to bring the audio in and then, and then categorize or, or just log what the hits are. And you're doing that – in, internal to the to the scanner, so you're still going through it and, and and thumbing through and listening to the audio files. Whereas if you wanted to bring it over to a computer, the same thing would happen. But again, you still need a radio that's going to be able to demodulate whatever it is you're listening to. So if it's right, DMR right. or P25, or you still have to be. But again, just like the radio would do, you get a log of the the PL or the NAC or the color code or the talk group or wherever else that it comes across. So. But it it only works as well as the radio works, right? It's, exactly. It's, it's, exactly. A, it's still a slave to the system. So yeah, it kind of reminds me of the, the old days too, where you had uh, the optocom boards and you'd run probe and oh, all yes. that nonsense. And yes, so I I just missed those days. I, I, I <laughs> that was that window where you know I was I was busy discovering, a, <laughs> hanging out late at night with friends and and, yeah, and going yeah. to college and stuff like that. You know. That was that was my window for all that, but uh, I missed I missed out on all the fun stuff with modifying the Pro two thousand sixes and and uh, going through. Um, oh, I can't think of his name right now. What's his name? Uh, Bob. Uh, sounds like. Yeah, sounds like. Let me look at my. Let me look at my. Uh, <laughs> let me look at my uh, upcoming podcast episodes because I know it's I know it's sitting in there. Hold on, uh, Google Sheets uh, episode guide. Where is it? Dates. Bill Cheek. Oh, yes, yes. 
Yeah, I missed. I knew I you missed, were going to do a podcast on him. Yes. Yeah, I missed the Bill Cheek days of everything and all the exciting stuff that he did. Sure, so. sure. But yeah, I would have. I if I could turn back time and go back through it, I would have. I would have definitely have of falling down a rabbit hole with all his stuff. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. But it's never too late. Yes. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Chris, is there anything else that, uh, that we missed in our, in our conversation? Well, I was just going to point out a couple of things. I mentioned earlier about the, uh, the uh, military air band, because there was a lot of stuff going on during the game and prior to the game. I was really impressed by the, the military air monitors down there in Southern California, because literally within a few Within less than a minute, when I first started hearing the the fighters talking to LA Center about coming in and doing this exercise before the game, there were posts on it from multiple people that had it, knew what unit it was, knew the tail numbers of the airplane. They probably knew the pilots' names. They just knew <laughs> I had this all this information right away, and I was very impressed by how many people were actually listening for that kind of stuff and posted it right away. I was really amazed how much uh, the monitoring community down there really is on top of stuff. So that was that was pretty cool. And I got some nice emails from folks who were listening at home or near the stadium and were sending me what they heard. Nobody really posted much on Radio Reference this year, which kind of surprised me. Usually somebody will put, do a Super Bowl posting and then everybody will just you know, put what they've heard there. But there really wasn't much of that this year on Radio Reference. But like I said, I got a lot of nice emails from the folks down there in the area. And I really appreciate the feedback that the that the readers and listeners out there give because it really helps me kind of fill in the blanks on my database and what was being heard. And I know that what I heard at the stadium wasn't kind of weird, some kind of weird image or something like that, because other people were hearing it too. So I know it was right. confirmed in other places. So that was that was very nice. I also get a lot of emails or heard that I was going to the Super Bowl. They want to know about if I can hear the coaches' radios, you know, the quarterback radios and stuff like that. And no, I can't hear all that. I, can, I know what frequencies they're on, but I couldn't hear what they're saying. It's all encrypted now. And the NFL has been very, they've been very proactive on that stuff. They keep all their stuff very secure. And uh, yeah, they, they've got it locked down pretty tight. I did get to chat with one of the game day frequency coordinators, the guys who actually run down interference for that stuff. And they, uh, they uh, they're right on top of stuff. They're in there looking for potential interference problems all the time. They even had one, I guess, this this show. They were tracking down some interference. They were getting one of the quarterback frequencies from a uh, locally uh, local taxi company, I guess, mm. was operating on the frequency that they were supposed to be using. But it was the taxi company was on a re- had a repeater. But the quarterback radio was on the input to the repeater, so there wasn't the the interference potential was pretty minimal, from what I understand. But that was that was pretty interesting to me that they were able to track that down so quickly. So, but that's that's a whole other podcast, I think. If you get one of those guys on sometime, <laughs> yeah. the stories they could tell. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. So where were you getting the information from? You said that uh, when when you po- when you hear stuff on the mill air and and, and they post it up right away. I mean, those guys. The amount of information that they can come off with at the top of their head is is unbelievable. That's a it whole is. other segment of the hobby, and that's almost like an obsession on 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 uh, on modern that kind of stuff. But oh, yeah, uh, were were you seeing those posts on a email reflector or was yeah, it still yeah. within? Uh, there's, uh, there's a couple of military uh, military air type mail lists that I'm on. The one's called SoCal Milcom, which okay. I think is a was an old Yahoo group that's turned into something. I think it might be a what is it now? It's not. Uh, Groups IO or something, yeah. Groups IO. Groups IO. Group. Okay. And there's a military scan uh, group that was also very active with stuff that going on. That's also Groups uh, IO. So they were uh, those guys down there in LA are pretty active on there, and they were right on top of what was going on. 
Nice. Yeah, I remember uh, going through the Miller stuff. There was, I forget the gentleman's name, but he was down in Satellite Beach, Florida. And uh, he would put his oh. updates on every single day. You know, Yeah, Al Stern. Al, Al Stern. Stern. Yeah. yeah, he was he was one of those guys I wish I, I got to know. Yes, and, we all uh, do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He I mean, was this great. guy. Yeah, every single day, I, I this tail, this log, this thing, you know, yeah, and yeah. and he knew like tail numbers and and the uh, and call signs and a lot of stuff. I mean, I, I can only imagine what uh, I can only picture him just sitting there all day long, you know, drinking coffee yeah, and, yeah. And, and listening to the scanners. <laughs> oh, I know, and I, I I'm hoping that someday when I retire, that I I can be one of those guys and just sit and listen all day. <laughs> <laughs> So I think I think we all do. So hopefully there's no encryption by then. But you know yeah. we'll see. But there's other stuff we'll to listen see. to. So exactly. 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 Yep. So all right, Chris. Well, again, it this has been a, a fun conversation. I'm glad you were able to come back on here and uh, and and share what uh, what the Super Bowl brought to you and the stuff that you've learned and and how you even go ahead and do it. I mean that's that's the amazing part is is everything that you would would do. So before we go, I got one question for you. All right. If you had to do what you do, right? And go out there and hunt and find all these these federal and mill air and and communications that's happening within the stadium and the and the whole deal, right? Mm-hmm. And you can only bring one radio, which radio would you brought with you? <laughs> oh, I knew that question was coming. <laughs> Uh, gosh, that's a good question. You know, I, I keep thinking that even though I, I don't use it for searching that much, I still would probably end up bringing a unit in handheld, either 436, which I have one, or SDS 100, which I don't have. But something that could do multiple search banks, could scan and search, and just have a really good wide band of frequencies. I think that's, it's a really handy radio. It has a lot of uh, potential and uh, a lot of uh, capabilities. I'm not saying that the other brands like the Whistlers are not, but there's just they work in a different way. They're not right. quite as handy to do a lot of manipulating of stuff in. Where the I think the internet radios are laid out better with their uh, with their database information and how you select the favorites list and so forth to make them really really handy for quick changes or finding something really quick. And so I would probably end up picking one of the unit models. If I had, if I had pressed. <laughs> See, your your answer surprises me because I thought you would have gone with the TRX one. To be honest with you, but your answer does make a lot of sense too. Because just with me playing around with the TRX one, great radio, it just does not work in simulcast. No, so, it, it, exactly. It, it has its limitations, but the yeah. way I use it, that's why I've I figured out all after using it for all these years what works best. You yeah. know how I like to use it, and they they work wonderful. I would. I will continue to use them as long as I can get them <laughs> for uh, for searching out stuff. But as far as just having one radio, if I was limited to one, yeah, I'd probably end up being one of the unitants. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's a good uh, a good choice right there. So, not that we can hear the Whistler camp screaming <laughs> from here. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm a big Whistler fan. Just if, yeah. you, if you if you put you know press me and say you have to yep. pick one, I probably end up leaning towards the unit side. And exactly. I'm still I'm still leaning a little bit towards the SDS. I haven't pulled the trigger yet, but man, that is just it's just starting to get closer and closer because my my home county just switched to a new P25 Phase Two system, and the 436 and the 536 just aren't cutting it anymore. So I might have to go for yeah. one of those. Yeah, it, it's it's a nice splurge to be honest with you. But uh, again, if the 436 and 536 do work for you, then it's 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 a color display. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so not just, just a preface. 
No, no. And in fact, here's here's one takeaway for you. Just I'm sure you're aware of it though. But there is a ridge or or a um, like a lip on the s on the on the top of the radio, yeah, where the SMA connector is. Yeah. So I was actually doing about a month ago. I was doing a, a, a tutoring session with with somebody that I know that's out in California. And he's like, I got to ask you, he goes, you recommend these antennas all the time. He goes, but I put this on my radio and it doesn't work all that well. He goes, what's going on? He's like, you know, did I get a bad antenna? I said, well, what radio are you putting it on? He goes, the SDS 100. I said, you can't do that. <laughs> I said, think about it. I said, I said, look, I'm putting it on my 436. I can turn it like five and a half times or four and a half times. I said, you, you put it on the SDS 100, you get, you get not even a full turn. I said that center pin is not making connection on there. So you really have to go with an aftermarket adapter to go to a BNC connector or you've got to go with like the Remtronics antennas to – and there's nothing wrong with the Remtronics antennas. I'm actually using the Remtronics antenna on my SDS-100 myself. Okay. And I have the 800 one, which is what's on there. And then I also bought the Remtronics VHF UHF antenna, which I've been sitting in the original bag now for the last six months. <laughs> I just don't use the SDS-100 heavily enough where I need to be picking up distance stuff on, on UHF or VHF. Yeah. But you, the way you use yours – you may find out that you do need that. So sure. when you decide to pull the trigger, I would definitely recommend that the aftermarket antenna, make sure it's it's going to go over that lip. And oh, then yeah. also get yourself an extra battery because the batteries in those SDS-100s yeah. don't last all that long. Yeah. And um, it is proprietary lithium-ion, and I don't really enjoy having a proprietary battery. So No, I'm I'm right there with you on the proprietary yeah. batteries. They, they don't they – don't, do well in my camp either so yeah i'm actually eyeballing the battery pack for my icom icr 30 I, I just realized that they sell a double a battery pack for that so oh nice I'm, I'm, yeah i'm thinking i might have to jump on that and and while i was looking for that i'm like well is there one for the i you know the r5 or the r6 mm, actually the r5 and r6 the r6 actually i think runs on uh double a so oh yeah that, yeah that's that's fine well one of them does it's it's been so long since so i take them out of the box but <laughs> You get too many radios, and you, you forget which which what's where. So, sure. But, uh, oh, one thing. One thing I just thought of, which I was going to uh -huh. bring up and forgot. A lot of people ask me. I posted a few pictures on Twitter of the radios and stuff. A lot of people asking about antennas and what I take with me as far as antennas go. I was going to. I think I posted a picture of it, and everybody asked, "What is it? What is it?" I've got a couple of old military antennas that I found on eBay over the years. They're designed for the military backpack radios, so they're. They're very wide band. They're like from 100 to 600 megahertz. They're not 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 any gain, not a gain antenna of any kind, just kind of a a whip. But um, they do a really good job. And like I said, at the stadium, I'm not really trying to pick up stuff from two counties away. I'm just looking for stuff that's right there within a few miles of me. So I usually end up just putting up one antenna on top of the office trailer that we're at and uh, running into a splitter. I've got a four way and an eight way passive splitter. And they seem to work just fine. I know people say, oh, there's too much loss or wrong impedance. No, it works fine. It's receiving. I know that I could probably do better, but for what I'm using it for, it works fine. So that limits the amount of stuff I have to bring with me too, as far as extra antennas. I, I really, I could theoretically put up four or five antennas on the roof of the trailer, <laughs> right. but I'd get more attention that way than if I just put up one. So, right. uh, but, but yeah, I, I, when traveling all these radios, I, I don't carry... I mean, I carry handheld antennas, but I don't carry like mag mounts or anything for every radio. I just have one in the car and one in the office, maybe. So and that, that falls right under the when when good enough is perfect, right? Exactly, that's, exactly, that's exactly. What it fits into. I was curious too if you've used because um, I actually have all three of them and they're still in the box in the garage. 
Whistler is in tennis. They've they've got a couple. I think they got three magmat antennas. Have you tried? I've any seen of those? those. I have not. Okay. I have a good friend who has them and likes them, but I have not purchased one of those yet. Mainly because I have an antenna antenna obsession, like I do with radios. <laughs> so okay. I have boxes and bags of antennas. Yep. That I haven't opened yet. So yeah, I'm I'm kind of trying to train myself not to buy every antenna that I see anymore. So until yeah. I lose one or, or break one or get rid of one, I have, I'm limiting myself on antennas right now. So I understand. Yeah. They, they had a 20% off sale, so I jumped on it. Oh but, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it, it, they're still in the original shipping box. I haven't even cracked the tape open on it yet. <laughs> so yeah, one of these days I'll, I'll get there. So but like I said, I have a couple of people I've known that had them and liked them. So I, you know, I, I can't say I recommend them for personal experience, but yeah, I've heard good things about them. So. So, Chris, before we go, for anybody that wants to reach out to you or uh, find out more about you, where can they uh, where can they get in touch with you, or where can they you know look at your logs or or anything else? Well, uh, the best place to go is usually my blog page, and that is at mt-fedfiles.blogspot.com. I usually try to keep that updated, although I haven't done an update in a few weeks, so I'm behind the times on that. Or you can read my column on uh, at the Spectrum Monitor magazine. And you can go to thespectrummonitor.com and download a free issue, I believe. That's probably the best way. Or uh, my email address, I think, is on my blog uh, page. So you can look that up there and feel free to email me. Excellent. And the Twitter is the, the Fed Files, right? Oh, yeah. Right? The Fed Files on Twitter. Yes, that's right. Perfect. All right, Chris. Well, again, thanks again for being here. I, I definitely uh, enjoyed our conversation. And uh, I, I hope to have you back again sometime soon. Well, I hope so. Thank you, Phil. Chris, as always, thank you for your time and being an active member of our Scanner School community. Chris is a Patreon Extra Credit member. And on our last roundtable, Chris actually gave us even an earlier sneak peek on this podcast episode in his column by sharing with the Extra Credit Roundtable discussion that we held for March some of the agencies and what he heard while he was uh at SoFi Field or SoFi Stadium, and even some drama that followed up when he tried to ship some of his equipment back home. So again, Chris, thank you so much for your support with the podcast. Thank you for being a part of the Scanner School community, and thank you for spending some time and talking about and sharing your experiences here with the podcast on what it was like to have a little bit of a radio access behind the scenes at a super football game. Now, I am always looking for guests to come on the podcast and share what it is that you are doing. So if you have an idea for a podcast episode, if you want to share what you know, a project maybe you are working on, please feel free to set up a date and time and have a conversation with me and let's record it for the podcast. So I'm inviting all of you right now. Go to scannerschool.com slash guest to set up an appointment. It's very easy. You'll get a calendar, and then a calendar, you pick the date that's available, you pick the time, and then I automatically send you the Zoom link. That's it. It's very simple to set up a conversation with us. It's very laid back, as you can tell. It's it's just a conversation between two people who love radio, and uh, they, they come back great. I mean, we had some great podcast guests so far this year. I'm looking forward to having more people, maybe even you, on the podcast. So again, scannerschool.com slash guest. Now... Before I leave, you know my ask, right? If you know somebody that will benefit from listening to today's podcast episode, please do me the favor and share this podcast episode with them. This is how we can help more people 
with the scanner radio hobby. And that is our goal, right? Is to help as many as pop many people as possible to learn more about the scanner radio hobby. So make sure you share this podcast episode with your friends or anybody else in the radio hobby. Share this on Facebook, Twitter. I guess if you can do it, share it on Instagram or send it out via an email. Send a link out and say, hey, you know, you may want to listen to this. This is how we can, you know, like I said, help more people to scan a radio hobby. Now, if you're a part of a radio club that is looking for a guest to be or a special speaker and you'd like me to be a guest at your radio club, let's talk about that too. I'll be more than happy to come in via a Zoom link. This means I can the club can be anywhere, and I would love to share why you know the scanner radio hobby can go hand in hand with whatever it is that your club does. Maybe you're into rail fanning, or you're into aviation, or it's an amateur radio group, or a disaster recovery group, or something like that. We'd love to give a little presentation on scanning. Again, reach out to me at phil at scannerschool.com. So with that, I'm going to say we will see you again next week next Tuesday and again at the first of the month for our Ask Scan School. Make sure you ask your questions, 516-308-2885. Catch you all next time. My name is Phil Lichtenberger and this is Scanner School where we teach you everything to know about the scanner radio hobby. 73.